0: The Super Bowl of fashion, the Oscars of couture. The biggest night for fashion is, inarguably, the Met Gala.
1: It's a social situation where it's very rare in contemporary life. Fashion designers next to people who are their muses, who are next to someone who has a British title.
0: It's a great celebration of of our uh, industry. and, And it's also a moment when you can say, yes, there is a very strong and beautiful camaraderie in the fashion world cross-pollination of stardom, power and showmanship makes the Met Gala the standout fashion event that it is. Whereas the Oscars celebrate the best in film, the Olympics showcase the best in athletics and presidential inaugurations gather the top authorities in the political sphere, the Met Gala's guest list spans all these domains and more. The red carpet coverage of the 2007 Met Gala, for example, gives us a taste of stars who make appearances every year. Putting
2: on a show
3: for the cameras were Kate Bosworth, looking retro in a champagne-colored Prada dress; Renee Zellweger, who gave us her best fashion pose; Scarlett Johansson in Stella McCartney,
2: and check out Ava Mendez in Michael Kors.
0: The influence of the Met Gala as an international media and fashion phenomenon was as carefully constructed as the garments that graced the carpet. Behind the glitz are stories that account for the Met Gala's gaining in prominence to draw the world's attention to its hallowed steps. Welcome to In Vogue, the 2000s, a podcast about the decade that ushered in a new millennium and redefined boundaries in fashion and society. Alongside fashion leaders, cultural icons, and Vogue's editorial team, we'll dissect the decade's most impactful style moments and how they've shaped our culture today. I'm Anna Winter, And I'm your host, Hamish Bowles. By definition, The Met Gala is a fundraiser that provides the operating budget for the Costume Institute at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, so there's a philanthropic spirit to the evening. Here's Vogue's archive editor, Laird Borelli-Person.
4: It's a fundraiser. It raises the operating budget for the Costume Institute. So, I mean, it does have a function. It's not just a dress-up party, but, I mean, I'm not sure it's the kind of thing that you can buy your way into. And
0: It's a very exclusive guestless. For the distinguished guests of the gala, the event is a welcome occasion to participate in a cultural event without the ever-present eye of the public. It's a rare chance for those bold-faced names who make the headlines to find themselves unscrutinized beyond the red carpet, because outside photographers are not permitted to enter the museum for the duration of the evening. Therefore, The media blitz that covers the gala takes form in a flurry of flashing bulbs as journalists and paparazzi take rapid-fire snaps of those ascending the staircase to the museum. That walk up the stairs of the Met can be a dazzling and overwhelming experience. That
5: first experience of going there was so magical you know, that huge red staircase that you just really hope you don't trip on going up, you know. (laughs) It's so grand and spectacular.
0: This is Oscar winning actress Jennifer Connolly.
5: And all the people there and all of the dresses, it's just such a celebration. I just never seen anything like it, that scope, that scale. It was like, the most majestic party I'd ever been to. <laughs> and that experience of going to something like that in the midst of all of these incredible works of art and feeling like you could experience that museum in a different way, at a different pace, in a different context. It was really, really special.
0: To experience the gala means sweeping into the debut of the year's exhibition. Harold Coda is the former curator in charge of the Met's Costume Institute. His work, to present exhibitions that were both historical and contemporary, took center stage at the annual Met Gala. And as an attendee, he's been able to view the galleries he's arranged alongside some of the most well-known people in the world. The cocktail
1: portion was so much fun because you're rubbing shoulders with the most unattainable social catches. I mean, you're never going to be in a room with some of these people. So you don't want to move. And the people don't want to move because it's, you know, they're seeing all their friends and they're meeting other celebrities that they've never met. So how do you get them to go to the dining room? It was always a challenge. I think the most successful, though it wasn't done more than a few times, was to have
0: bagpipers (laughs) <laughs> begin to pipe, and that got them to move. Amongst the crowd of influential personalities are those who've been invited back to the Met Gala year after year, and those who are taking it all in for the first time. Andrew Bolton, the Met's Costume Institute curator, remembers being awestruck his first time.
6: My first met Gala, which was so, so extraordinary, which is when Hit Dana Ross performed. It was absolutely amazing.
0: The Met Gala is, of course, more than just a who's who of the moment. Just as dazzling as the evening's guests are the works of art that they wear.
6: It's still about using fashion as an expression of identity and self-representation. So for me, it's very much about the the power of fashion to galvanise those ideas and the power of fashion to express those very complex concepts of identity. It really is the interest in fashion on a a global level and uh, the possibilities of fashion. I love seeing how the guests interpret the theme of the uh, of the exhibition. Sarah Jessica Parker is always game. You know, she always responds so sort of specifically to the theme.
7: I still take it dead serious. <laughs> I mean, I really do.
0: This is Sarah Jessica Parker.
7: I think the themes, to me, you know, the idea behind the celebration, what is the collection that we're all going to be, witnessing early which is such a huge privilege that we get to walk through the corridors of that museum and we're always like you understand what we're here for right i sometimes i think the outside world forgets that we're there in celebration of this extraordinary exhibit and therefore that's why we have a mohawk on
0: this is led barelli person
4: if the Oscars is for people that love film and celebrity, the Met Gala is for people who love fashion and celebrity.
0: For the fashion world's top stylists, such as Law Roach, the Gala is an opportunity to collaborate with dream clients and brands.
6: I've been very blessed to have relationships with the people that I dress, that they have really kind of left it up to me
3: to figure it out. And so that's what makes it fun for me, the collaboration. And me being like the liaison between my client and the brand, you know, because you're playing matchmaker, basically. You. Like you want to see the people you set up and they have ever after, you know. In, in this terms, that that's really kind of like the look, because those
1: looks will mean, definitely live forever and be part of
0: fashion history, which is which is a big thing. The raison d'être for the gala itself is the showcasing of and fundraising for the Costume Institute. Andrew Bolton and Harold Coda have both helmed the curation of the Institute's costume collections in different eras. Here's Harold.
1: We don't want to tell the stories that are already told. You know, our idea is at the Costume Institute, we have this marvellous platform. Let's present something new.
6: This is Andrew Bolton. I think, speaking very broadly, I think our role is to record the evolution of fashion through artistic and cultural trends and developments. But it, part of it, particularly f- for the Met, is to promote the artistry of fashion and to promote the idea that clothing is, a- as an aesthetic medium, is on a par with painting and sculpture to elevate the, the status of fashion. And I think, What we try to do is offer new ways of looking at clothes, so interpreting clothes through through different lenses, uh, whether that lens is history or aesthetics or sociology or my particular interest, um, psychology. And I suppose what we try to do in all of our shows is is to try and recontextualize fashion. So I think in terms of our exhibitions, what, what we try to do is have a menu of shows that it that's dynamic and that sort of go back and forth between. Subjects between the past and the present, and also to come up with a, a sort of strategy or, or, or a program that's both thematic exhibitions, but also monographic exhibitions of a, a of one designer. And again, what we always try to do, whether, whether successfully or not, is try to think of a topic that seems timely. So, in a way, to try and define a cultural trend or or a cultural shift at, at, at the point that it's happening or, or, or is is about to happen.
0: The research process for putting together such an exhibition is extensive and
6: intensive. For Andrew, the key is finding a narrative. I always feel as a, the, the part of the role as a curator is to tease out those stories. I think every every object, every, every item of fashion has a story to tell, and it's our job to sort of tease out those stories. Like any good
0: storyteller, The first step a curator takes when imagining an exhibition is to envision the possibilities within your given constraints. Here's Harold.
1: The beginning is wonderful because when you have the idea, you're imagining all the different great objects which would support that idea. And then you find over the course of the next three months as you solicit them from designers or other collections that many pieces aren't available to you whether they're being conserved or in the case of fashion designers, they're appearing in Shanghai in the show that it's committed to. And suddenly you're left with Swiss cheese. The cheese is there, but some of the best bits are missing. That's the first part of it is securing the pieces. You've already pretty much laid out the broader concepts of the exhibition. And then the part that is fun is to think
0: about How can you present this material? The work of the curators is an integral part of the storied history of the museum's collections. When the Museum of Costume Art merged with the Metropolitan Museum of Art in 1946, it became the Costume Institute.
1: Originally, two years after its founding at the at the museum, it had merged with the museum as a collection that was required to raise its own operating expenses. In 1948, the dwayne of fashion publicists in America, Eleanor Lambert, came up with this idea that they would give a late dinner dance and fundraise that way.
6: So the first party of the year, was actually chaired by Dorothy Shaver in 1948.
0: Andrew is speaking of Dorothy Shaver, then president of Lord & Taylor. Here's Andrew Bolton again.
6: And it was, interestingly, it was actually held outside the museum. And it was held either the Rainbow Room or the uh, Waldorf Astoria.
0: Not only was the venue different from today's Met Gala, but the guest list was as well. Led Borelli person again.
4: It was the usual suspects. I mean, it was mostly designers, industry. People looked glamorous but not different than if they went to like a big charity dinner it was a big event i think it was an insider's event
0: one notable insider in regular attendance to these subdued met fundraising galas anna winter as vogue's editor-in-chief she is of course the chairwoman of the gala today for anna attending as a guest gave her a helpful perspective for the future when she would be running the event
8: I went a couple of times as a guest and it was very fashion-focused and quite small. There was also a large group of New York society ladies. It had attention, but it didn't have the megawatt attention that it receives today. There were wonderful exhibitions that were created by Mrs. Vreeland, but it was very much within a New York City sphere.
0: The Mrs. Vreeland that Anna references is, of course, Deanna Vreeland, who was a legendary French-American fashion editor and former editor-in-chief of Vogue. She later consulted for the Met's Costume Institute.
3: She had been brought over to the Met by Thomas Hoving, who is the director of the Met at that time, to revitalize
0: the Costume Institute. This is Vogue editor Tony Goodman.
3: And she came in and she mounted her shows with volunteers. And I became a volunteer. Of course, working with Mrs. Vreeland was, there never will be another person like her. She was, you know, simply incredible. So what she did for the Met was she created the gala, the Met Gala.
0: The museum sensed an opportunity to continue reinvigorating their annual event, and they sought to ensure its success by tapping the fashion experts at Vogue. And so the
1: idea the museum had was, To go to the fashion publications, and so they went to Vogue and Anna, and that was really what transformed the gala. By the '90s, the Met hadn't really changed in terms of its approach, and part of that was because the Met is a grand dame of New York cultural institutions, and if it does one thing and it's successful they tend to stick to that thing that wasn't going to change because it was very successful nonetheless, right? But when Anna came in, uh, she sets for herself a bar of success that's related to fundraising. And I think that's, I mean, every fundraiser says that's what they do, but they don't quantify it or break it down into what will make it more successful. She saw the potential of the event to no longer just be a New York society event, but one that was a media event.
8: I had no idea what I was getting into. Oscar and Annette called me up and say, you need to do this and you can never say no to Oscar and Annette. So I I said, yes.
0: Anna was, of course, mentioning Oscar and Annette de Anna's vision was to bring the pages of Vogue to life at the Met. She was able to think beyond the rather sequestered world of high society in New York to the broader worlds of entertainment, opera, dance, Broadway, music and film, as well as athletics and politics and tech, excellence across a range of fields. She envisioned a celebration of the transformative possibilities of fashion. The first Met Gala that Anna chaired was in 1995. I remember looking down
8: that first night that I I chaired it and with Emily Rafferty, who was the president of the museum that now, and just seeing all these young kids dancing, Uh, in the Great Hall, and I don't know who was in more shock, she or I, but it just definitely felt that things had changed. And it was really important to me to bring in a much more diverse and inclusive group of people, both in terms of backgrounds and age, and just to represent New York in a different kind of a way.
0: Towards the end of the 90s, the Met Gala began picking up steam but it took time for it to gain the level of renown it has today. 1999 was the first year that Giselle Bunschen was in attendance, and she didn't know what to expect.
9: It was so funny because I had no idea this Met Gala. I thought it was a fashion dinner, celebrating the people that worked so hard all year in fashion. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. My agent, Anne, she came with me. She was my date. Then Versace sent like three dresses and I chose that one. And I I I didn't even have a hair makeup, nothing. I literally was leaving my house. And my agent was like, Giselle, who's going to do your makeup? I'm like, I don't know, myself. I just put some mascara. And she was like, no, 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 no. I was working with Gucci that day.
0: Gucci Westman is a celebrated makeup artist.
9: She's like, tell her to come over here and like touch up your makeup. So she came to my house, did that makeup. I didn't do my hair. I literally just put it on a ponytail. And there was no hairdresser. I I was the hairdresser. And then I went and it was super fun because it was everyone you knew. You know, it was all the photographers, the stylists. So it was kind of fun to sit down, have dinner and actually talk with them in a different context of just working. So that was really
0: fun. The gala continued to grow from an insider industry dinner into a global phenomenon that designers, celebrities plan their year around. Harold Coda saw the changes that Anna was making to the gala and what it meant for the future of the event.
1: Without sacrificing the supporters of the museum, the social people in New York, she reimagined it so that it became something that if you were in media, you had to account for it in some way. And that, I think, transformed the party. But by 2000, it was full-blown.
4: Hey, Run Through listeners, are you curious about what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue and in the world of fashion? Join Vogue Club, a -a one-of-a-kind fashion community where you can unlock exclusive access to Vogue editors, industry players, and fellow members, as well as receive expert style advice, tickets to VIP events, handpicked gifts, and so much more. Visit VogueClub.com today and get 20% off using promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. That's VogueClub.com, promo code THERUNTHROUGH20.
0: in 2003 Anna Winter invited Tom Ford to co-chair the Met gala alongside its first celebrity co-chair Nicole Kidman Anna Winter is meticulous in the selection process of who co-chairs the event
8: we try um, to choose people that we think are very much of the cultural moment we try to think about who makes sense uh, in terms of the exhibition theme we try also try and invite people who we think will enjoy it and be make an effort and, and go there and, and have fun and, and really feel that they are hosting along with myself and whoever the sponsors
0: may be. The 2003 exhibition, the year of the first celebrity co-chair, was Goddess, the Classical Mode, which was one of the decade's most memorable exhibitions curated by Harold Coda. With Goddess, the premise
1: was how Greco-Roman costume has informed dress throughout the ages, which is uh, something that a costume person sees. But I don't think the general public knows that just because something is called classic, uh, with all of the connotations of a persistent style, that there was actually a classical style that in every period, in some form, it can appear. Sometimes even with bustles and hoops, it's still called classic because it has vestiges of Greco-Roman attire.
6: Andrew Bolton witnessed the goddess exhibition as a guest. I remember it was such an extraordinary experience for me because Nicole Kidman was, a, was one of the co-chairs with Tom. And, you know, she was meant to arrive with Tom Ford on the on the red carpet. And she arrived with Adrian Brody. And they just won an Oscar. I think Nicole for the Hours, and Adrian Brody for the Pianist. This extraordinary moment of uh, fashion and celebrity sort of coming together, and, and I think that is what's been e- extraordinary about the Met Gala and what Anna's genius has been. I think she's she's capitalized on the public's fascination with celebrity, but also what Anna's done is also merge. That fascination with the fascination of fashion.
8: Well, Harold would curate the exhibitions and I would help with the opening night. You know, obviously mutual admiration and respect but quite separate in what we did and it wasn't really until Andrew Bolton took over as curator in charge at the museum in that we started to work so much more closely together both in terms of shaping what the exhibitions could be and shaping what the night could be and and understanding that you know everything sort of had to weave in together and make sense together to to create the best possible experience for
0: the guests that night. Andrew and Anna have become a power team working together to finesse every detail of the event year round so that the night of experience is seamless and unforgettable
8: we're always planning a met gala i have a very long runway we plan three or four years out but there is no moment uh, that i in some tiny corner of my mind that i i don't have some kind of met thought continuing because there's so many different elements to plan whether way beyond the carpet it's the guest list it's uh, entertainment it's you know the dinner itself it's the visitor's experience it's you know what we we put into the into the Met Shop. There's so many small details that need the correct amount of planning, and God is in the details. And uh, you know it's very very important to me when our visitors and our guests are being so extraordinarily generous that from the minute they get out of their car, that they're or arrive on in a chariot or on a bicycle, whatever it may be, that they're going to have the ultimate experience and that they're going to want to come back next year.
2: The thing about The Met and Anna's involvement is that she is involved in every single detail.
0: This is Vogue fashion director Virginia Smith.
2: She has tastings, at least one, if not two or more, at her home with a group of people to make sure the food is like perfect for the night, that it relates somehow to the theme. When we have Vogue editors who help seat people at The Met, every single look is considered I mean nothing has really left her chance at the Met and it all pays off that night because it just all comes together so Anna's like conducting an orchestra when it comes to the Met and she's very very involved and you can tell and that's why it's something that is much different than any other event.
0: Luckily Anna's always had exceptional curatorial collaborators like Andrew Bolton Andrew's curations are deeply thoughtful. He has
6: wide-ranging ambitions for what he puts on display. I always like it when they go beyond the four walls of the museum. So I try in one of my ambitions for all my shows is posit more questions than answers. And I think that's the case with all of the shows I try to do is that, that they're open-ended that we just raise an idea or raise an issue and uh, it goes out there in the public world and it continues to resolve itself. And the discussion continues to take place beyond the four walls of the museum.
0: Andrew Bolton made his Met exhibition debut in 2006 with Anglomania, Tradition and Transgression in British Fashion. The Anglomania Met Gala was co-chaired by Christopher Bailey, then the creative director of Burberry, and British-American actress Sienna Miller. In attendance that evening was fashion editor Tony Goodman.
3: Anglomania was wonderful because the exhibition went into some of the very, very famous rooms within the Met that are the recreated rooms, the 18th century. And they were so wonderful because now you had the clothes alive in a room where they belonged in the period. And the sort of cleverness of the scene that was set was some of it was a little bit outrageous. Some of it was unexpected. It was
0: pure, pure entertainment. At the Anglomania exhibition, two guests who turned heads were Alexander McQueen and Sarah Jessica Parker.
7: I really wanted to to go with him. I, I loved him so much. His talent was so extraordinary and it was so original. And it was so, it was so brutal and beautiful. We wore those beautiful kilts, that exquisite tartan. And I think he came back and forth to New York. I don't know. We did two or three fittings in person with Lee. And we discussed every single thing, every single solitary detail. I have to this day, I have every pin from that fitting, every scrap. I have everything he ever touched in my presence. If he, If he touched a piece of paper and crumpled it up and tossed it, I grabbed it out right out of the waste bin. So we just, I
2: just did exactly as he wanted. Anglomania was like a wild Met. I mean, I feel like that was the first Met where it was somehow the formality sort of went off the rails and... You know, the Brits were there in full force, not to say there was no decorum there, but I would say the rules were somewhat laxed at that met and everyone was just sort of behaving. You know, it was very fun. It wasn't near as formal as it had been in the past. And it was a really, really fun one
0: and it was particularly special
6: for Andrew Bolton as the exhibition was his first curation for the Met Gala it was quite a personal exhibition for me that i was incredibly homesick at that point it was also the time when british fashion was really at, uh, at the forefront of, of of fashion so i wanted to do an exhibition that looked at the sort of you know the, rom- the romantic constructs of english culture you know anglomania is always seen as something that was is foreigners uh, approach to England. But it's also something that we promote ourselves as as English um, men and women and English designers. So they actively promote and perpetuate the idea of England rather than the, the reality of England. So concepts around the garden, class, monarchy, yeah, pomp and circumstance, English gentlemen. And I wanted to make a distinction between Englishness as a romantic construct formed by feelings and attitudes and Britishness as a political construct Based on shared practices and, and ins- institutions, so in one of the rooms, in, in which was looking at the English country garden, we mixed on one mannequin a Spitalfields eighteenth-century silk with a with a Philip Tracy awkward hat, and the hat itself was almost like a three-dimensional representation of one of the flowers in the dress. So that was quite a radical sort of uh, approach of of mixing historical and contemporary pieces within on one mannequin, and it had very mixed reviews. I remember. Walking through the main entrance of the Met, and a fellow curator uh, was screaming, saying, "You've prostituted the museum." So it 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 caused very very severe reactions. The other one that I think was a little controversial was superheroes.
0: Superheroes, fashion, and fantasy was Andrew's 2008 exhibition showcased at the Met Gala, co-chaired by George Clooney and Julia Roberts.
6: It was a moment when superheroes was was really sort of in everyone's imagination. And and what I felt was so interesting about... Uh, I always felt that fashion, in a way, mirrored the superhero's preoccupation with the ideal body. But again, I remember Philippe, who was the director at the time, it was the night before the uh, opening, so the Sunday evening, and I think I was I was working on the Spider-Man, co- <laughs> the Spider-Man costume, and I heard from behind me in, in Philippe's distinctive voice, what have you done to my museum? He was just horrified that, you know, we had popular culture at the Met. And so again, that was another another show that was a little uh, co- controversial, mainly because of, um, you know, how superheroes have always seen as this sort of dime culture, sort of pop culture that didn't really belong in an art museum like like the met but that was also another sort of comparison between fashion and uh superheroes how they're often quickly dismissed as something like is trivial uh and and, and I think the trivi- the seeming triviality of both the superhero and fashion is part of its power because of the of the ability to parlay that seeming triviality to convey very complex concepts.
0: As with any exhibition, there were key pieces that exemplified
6: the curator's thesis. Every show seems to have a sort of a designer that that bubbles up as being the sort of muse of a particular um, exhibition. And with that particular one, it was Mugler, you know, because he he engaged so much with that idea of uh, just the the metaphor of the superhero and the ability of changing, changing the body and using fashion as a way to um, to change these complex ideas of, of, of metaphor and identity. The
0: Anglomania and Superheroes Met Galas brought refreshing energy to the Metropolitan Museum of Art by incorporating elements that diverged from traditional exhibition formats. The Superheroes' evening built on the Met Gala's momentum as it became fashion's biggest night. Everyone from Scarlett Johansson and Dolce & Gabbana to Beyoncé and Armani Privé shone on the red carpet that evening. Julia Roberts was accompanied by Giorgio Armani, and when speaking to a reporter on the red carpet, she applauded his personification of the theme.
3: Who's your hero?
9: Because tonight it's about superheroes inside. Who's your personal thing that Giorgio, in fashion, is a superhero? He has stood the test of time. He has maintained his integrity. And I think that is to be applauded and heralded in today's fashion world.
0: It's amazing. The Met Gala transformed from a benefit welcoming primarily society figures and fashion stars to an international event peopled by the most celebrated figures across their individual fields. Here's
6: Andrew Bolton. It's extraordinary, the guest list, that, you know, it's you know, people from politics, from sport, from film, from fashion, from art, and I think that mix of guests is also part of the the fascination and the the brilliance of of Anna and the and the Met Gala, and and is what creates so much interest in it because it, so many people who are interested in those areas come together in this one night of uh, of the celebration of fashion and 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 personality in a way.
0: No longer was fashion solely the preserve of designers, editors, socialites and supermodels, but instead it was a reflection of all of the different worlds celebrated in Vogue.
4: I think the change in the Met Gala reflects the change in the magazine.
0: This is Vogue's archive editor, Led Borelli-Person.
4: It became less local, more global, less inside, more open to other creative industries and other kinds of fame. And the industry was doing this at the same time, whereas a model would be maybe a designer's first choice, you know, to go to Halston would bring the Halstonettes, you know, suddenly a designer wanted to come with an actress or a painter or a singer. And then at some point it just sort of went into overdrive. And while the guest list is small, The coverage of the red carpet is ginormous.
0: Today, every detail of the Met Gala has become part of its storied mythology, even the day upon which it falls, the first Monday in May. Why was this date selected?
8: Well, that was made by circumstance in that uh, an exhibition was cancelled very much last minute. And we therefore had to move it. It was in December, and therefore we had to move it to May. And then we realized that that was just a much more appropriate time to have a show. We weren't really conflicting with a million other events, which you are when you do one in December. But there was no strategic decision. And then we had the movie, which was first Monday in May, the documentary. And then it just
0: seemed kind of... A fait accompli. As the gala evolved, the details of the event had to transform to keep pace with the attention it was receiving. First, for example, the entrance to the gala wasn't decorated. Here's Anna Winter. I
8: look back in horror, there's the most glamorous people in the world, <laughs> often in the rain. It seemed to me walking up the great steps without a tent or without a carpet or without a railings. And then it was the wonderful Lisa Love, who I believe said, Anna, what are you doing? This is where all the pictures are happening. You've got to create an environment. And we started off very basic with just a, a traditional red carpet and still the railings. And then we moved on to hedging and designs on the red carpet and now in a way the design of the red carpet is as as important as everything that we do inside because those are the images that go around around the world so we are always trying to have a red carpet if you you look at the comte de garcon carpet or the punk carpet or the camp carpet they do reflect what's happening inside
0: Andrew Bolton pulled from the pluralism and eclecticism of the decade when building his exhibits in the way that any artist draws inspiration from and is a product of the times. The symbiosis between art and fashion is on full display at the costume exhibition that sits within one of the world's most renowned art museums. And the Met Gala itself brings to the forefront the ever-provocative question, is fashion art?
1: Most fashion is not art most fashion is a social historical artifact but i think you would be very blinded if you didn't see a work by vna or balenciaga and say that something is going on in this particular material expression that is unprecedented and so highly conceptual that it transcends clothes and i think you have to do that but you know is photography art. No, some photography is art
0: and I think it's the a similar criteria. On this
6: point, both curators Harold and Andrew agree. You know, not all fashion is art. You know, and I think as a as a curator I, I tend to gravitate towards designers that advance or redirect the trajectory of fashion through their innovations. You, know, you have designers who engage with social and cultural issues like Chanel and Saint And you have designers who engage with sort of the, the artistic uh, integrity of fashion like Vionnet and Balenciaga or Alaya and Miyaki. But then you have designers who, you know, use fashion more conceptually like Hussein Chalayan and Ray Kawakubo. And then sometimes you get those rare geniuses who combine all of those qualities like Lee and John Galliano. So, um, you know, it's, it's peculiar. For me, it, you know, the ultimate definition of art is... Uh, something that is original, something that is is saying a new message, creating a new message about a particular subject. And it's fundamentally about originality and that that cuts across every type of artistic medium, whether it's painting, sculpture or, or fashion.
0: As is powerfully displayed in the Costume Institute at the Met, fashion can make impactful statements
6: on our lives and social histories yeah i think because fashion's so connected to the body you know it does respond so directly and so quickly to culture politics economics more than any other art form so and i think because it's so immediate and uh, so accessible in a way and in a way quite democratic that it has this ability to speak to a much broader audience than say painting or, or sculpture or, or, or another form of artistic expression because we all wear it and fashion has become so central to contemporary culture so it has this incredible power to galvanize politics and to galvanize social and cultural issues and to be a canvas to express those changes So to me, that's the power of fashion. The power of fashion,
0: when combined with the power of celebrity, has proven to be an intoxicating combination when it comes to raising funds to benefit the Costume Institute. The 1995 Met Gala raised $1.3 million. And under Anna's leadership, that funding has continued to grow. In 2019, the gala raised approximately $15 million.
8: Of course the evening and the opening is fun and we love it and it raises huge amounts of money for the museum but in the end we do it because we want to open up our world of costume and fashion and culture to the widest possible audience.
0: The Met Gala exhibitions have resulted in monumental fundraising for the Costume Institute in addition to record-breaking museum attendance the gala has transformed itself into a platform where celebrities and designers push boundaries and stir the conversation while making fashion statements that amplify the proposal that fashion is art. Few designers in the 2000s pushed boundaries, stirred conversations, and made statements like Nicolas Guesquière. When he took over the dormant fashion house of Balenciaga as a young, unproven designer, no one foresaw the explosion of ingenuity that would follow and you'll hear all about his rise to prominence in the next episode of In Vogue, the 2000s. Stay tuned. In Vogue, the 2000s is presented by Anna Winter, produced by Vogue in partnership with Pod People. Production support by Jacqueline Jamjoom, Tony Mantia, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Madison Lusby, Frida Lucas, Marie McCoy-Thompson, Morgan Foose, Mariah Dennis, Daniel Brunel, Gordon Bramley, Nikki Stein, Persia Verlin, Stephanie Bichara. Theme music composed by DJ Ghost Dad. Vogue's editorial team is by Borelli-Person, Mark Holgate, Nicole Phelps, and myself, Hamish Bowles. Special thanks to Vogue's Creative Editorial Director, Mark Guiducci, VP of Digital Video Programming and Development, Robert Semmer, VP of Audio, Julie Shen, and Director of Podcasts, Nico Steele. Please do subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information, incredible imagery, and episode references in the show notes or at vogue.com slash podcast. I'm your host Hamish Bowles, until next week, In Vogue.